Well, I think we're having church today. So good to see all of you here for the third service for us on this weekend. And uh, before I get started, I want to introduce my mother is here today. Stand up, Mom. And she is, came in from Dallas. Yeah. There we go. And she doesn't get to make it very often, but it's good to have her today. And um, she's the one that gave me to you. We all came from somewhere, right? All right. Good to have you here on Easter Sunday. It's a great day of celebration. This is the day we celebrate the defining moment in all of history when Jesus rose from the dead. I read recently of a man's friend that was coming out of church one day, and the preacher was standing at the door, as he always did, uh, to shake hands. And he grabbed the man's friend by the hand, pulled him aside, and the pastor said to him, you know, you need to join the army of the Lord. And the friend replied, I'm already in the army of the Lord. The pastor questioned him and said, well, how come I never see you at church on Sundays? And he whispered back, because I'm in the secret service. <laughs> now, if you're one of those secret service people, I want to tell you, we invite you and welcome you here today more than any other time. God bless you. And let's give all the visitors a hand today. Amen. I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. Now, I know you've stood a lot, but we work you out here. We keep you in shape. So let's just stand together and read these passages. We're going to read three simple verses about the resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't have a Bible, you can see it right up here on the screen. But 1 Corinthians 15 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, read this last part out loud with me, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word today, and I need You today. Lord, I need you to help me to communicate this amazing truth. And Lord, the congregation needs your help in hearing. Lord, we can hear but not hear. We can see but not see. And I pray that today you will remove any dullness of hearing. You will take the veil off of our eyes and the stoniness out of our heart and help us to catch a fresh glimpse and understanding of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead like we've never known it before. I pray everybody, for everybody watching by streaming video and everybody listening by radio, the Lord, you will bless them, open their ears, and give us, Lord, a transforming moment today that when we leave, we will not be the same as when we got here. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he is risen, and you can be seated. God bless you. Well, I'll tell you, it's a great, great day. If you were, to, if you were just to ask me on the street, come up to me on the street and say, Jeff, tell me, in a nutshell, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to earth? And I would answer you very simply, and I would say, he came to give you and me eternal life. And his resurrection from the dead was absolutely necessary to bring that about. Jesus had to rise from the dead 
to bring eternal life to you and to me. Now we're going to see today that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the final nail in the devil's coffin. It ruined the devil. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin. In his resurrection, he defeated death. On the cross, he defeated our disease, sin. In his resurrection, he defeated sin's consequence, death. So in a three-day period, he destroyed the two great enemies of mankind, sin and death. The resurrection in the Bible is just huge. The Old Testament anticipates his resurrection, and the New Testament points back to and celebrates his resurrection from the dead. If the Bible were a good novel, Jesus would be the main character, believe it or not. Not Moses, not Abraham. Jesus would be the main character. And his death, burial, and resurrection would be the climax of the novel because the Old Testament pointed to it. The New Testament looked back on it. The Old Testament anticipated it. The New Testament celebrated it. The Old Testament looked for it and hoped for it. And then the New Testament received it. Jesus coming to the earth, living a perfect sinless life, dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead for our justification. So important is the resurrection that we're celebrating today that if there's no resurrection of Jesus from the dead, there is no Christianity. It's just a belief system, another religious system. If he didn't get up from the dead, Jesus had to get up from the dead. Paul said, if he did not rise from the dead, then our preaching is empty. I've wasted my whole life. I started preaching when I was 18 years old. I've wasted my whole life if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Paul said, my preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty, and the worst part, you're still in your sins. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, you're still in your sins if he did not rise from the dead. But then Paul writes and wants to make sure we hear this, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. And because of his resurrection, those who believe on him receive eternal life. He came to give us eternal life, everlasting life. The best-known Bible verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16. And John 3.16 talks about eternal life. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. That's out of Jesus' own mouth. He was talking about Himself. So there is this option here. We can perish in our sins, or we can have eternal life. God so loved the world, was so in love with you, so loved you, he didn't withhold his only son, but gave him up for us all that we could experience eternal life. Now, why all this emphasis on eternal life? What is, why the, the constant talk about eternal life? Why did Jesus always talk about it, and why did the disciples preach it like a broken record? See, if you could have heard Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude, or any of the New Testament writers, if you could have heard them preach, you would have never walked away without having heard about eternal life. 
They talked about the resurrection from the dead. They talked about eternal life over and over again. This was their theme song. This was what they preached. This was the message of Christianity, that if you put your faith in Him, you will have eternal life and will not perish in your sin. We can perish or we can have eternal life. Now, why why harp on it so much, though? Why is that the message of the New Testament? Why the core? Why is that the crux? You've got to go all the way back to the ancient Garden of Eden to get the answer for that. Because we find that there was a first couple, and their name was Adam and Eve, and they really did exist. You say, well, I'm an evolutionist. Even if you're an evolutionist, there had to be a first couple. (laughs) So allow me my first couple, and the Bible's first couple, it's Adam and Eve. And God gave Adam and Eve a promise, and he gave them a warning. And here's what God said. He said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. The whole garden is yours, all of it. I'm giving you everything you see except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that one you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the first time we hear that word in the Bible, die. If you disobey me, you will die. If you partake of that tree, something's going to happen to you. You're going to undergo a change. You're going to bring upon yourself and the entire human race something that I never intended. You're going to die. And we have to assume that since God told them, if you partake of that tree, you're going to die, that originally they were created to have eternal life because you can't lose something you don't have. They were created to be eternal beings. Adam and Eve were made to be eternal. They were never going to die. That's the way God made them. It was never God's will, folks, for you to look into a coffin at the dead body of a loved one and cry your eyes out and have your heart broken. That was never God's will. That was not His original plan. That was not in His design. So God was telling them, You've got eternal life unless you partake of that tree. And if you do, then you're going to die and your life's going to be cut short. I don't want that to happen to you. And not only were they going to die physically, but they would die also spiritually. For the Bible says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So not only were they going to die physically, but spiritually they would experience death and not life. Now, it's interesting to me that this issue of dying is what the devil chose to undermine when he first approached Eve to seduce her into sin. He he targeted God's promise that they would not die if they remained obedient and that they would die if they did not. He targeted that word from God. That was the one issue he honed in on and wanted to undermine. His chief point of attack was to tell her, She would not die if she ate of the forbidden tree. It says in chapter 3, verse 4 of Genesis, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God's lying to you. God's holding back from you, Eve. He's cheating you. He's robbing you. If you disobey him, you won't die. Come on, you won't die. Now we could paraphrase that to say, Eve, you won't lose your eternal life. If you disobey God, you're not going to lose your eternal life. That's what he was saying to her. You know the rest of the story. The first couple did disobey God. 
It says she reached out, she saw that it was good for food. She was pulled towards that tree, drawn towards that tree. She believed the enemy's lie, and she partook of the fruit, and she died. And the Bible says a couple of chapters later, God makes real sure we notice that death was the consequence. Death was the price they paid for disobeying God. Seven times in chapter 5 of Genesis, God punctuates the end of somebody's life with three somber words, and he died. It says Adam lived 930 years, and he died. Holy Spirit put this in here. Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. Holy Spirit wants us to know that, that Satan lied and mankind died. Look at this. Adam lived 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 840 years, and he died. And if you track the Bible, you'll see that man's lifespan grew shorter and shorter until in the Psalms we hear David talking about getting your three score and ten or 70 years. That The human race immediately went into decline spiritually, physically, Sin worked its curse, and death took over. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament weighs in on this with the same conclusion. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, In Adam all have died. You, me, all of us. Romans 5.12, Through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. I'm going to read it again. Death spread to all men. Because all have sinned, and the stinger of sin is death. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've all turned aside. We've all gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all, all of us. Death is the number one consequence for sin. Sin has brought death to the entire human race, physical and spiritual. If you don't know Jesus today, you're spiritually dead. You're dead. And one day your body will die because of sin. Paul illustrates this in 1 Corinthians uh, 15.55 by telling us that sin is like a bumblebee that has a stinger. And sin's, sin's stinger is death. Listen to what he writes. The sting of death is sin. So that when we sin, it's got a stinger attached to it. And the stinger brings death. Spiritually, physically. Overnight, death became the number one gun in the devil's arsenal against mankind. Not only did man begin to die and spiritually was born dead, we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But through death, Satan brought the entire human race into great fear and great bondage. It says in Hebrews 2.15, describes the human race as those who, through fear of death, have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. Nobody wants to die. We're afraid of dying. Death is what everybody tries to avoid. Scientists looking today for the fountain of life, the elixir that will help us to never die, but they're never going to find it because there's only one way to eternal life. And it's through faith in Christ Jesus. Death is that distant specter drawing ever closer the older we get. 
is the grim reaper that inevitably knocks on everyone's door and nobody avoids it. Death has a 100% success rate. Give me 10 people, I'll show you 10 people who are going to die. Jesus said, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up from the dead on the last day. Reflecting on his father's death, actor Bradley Cooper told a magazine editor, quote, all of a sudden I was like, oh, right, I'm going to die too. Here it is. It's not in a book. It's not in a movie. Is somebody you love dying in front of you? I was like, okay, this is death, and this is going to happen to me one day. Right, Bradley? You're right. Now, here's what Easter is all about. Jesus came to restore what was lost in the garden. Can I say it again? Jesus came to restore what was lost in the garden. And what was lost in the garden? Our relationship with God was lost, and when that was lost, we died. And so we, we lost our relationship and we lost our eternal life. And Jesus came to restore eternal life and relationship with God that's why he came, and that's why he talks so much about this issue of death and its opposite, eternal life. I'm going to read it again. Jesus said, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. Now listen to this. I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. Now I've got to say something here. All these people that go around saying, you can go to a college campus and say, tell me what you think about Jesus. Oh, he was a good teacher. He was a good speaker. He was an inspirational personality. You know, he went tiptoeing through the religious tulips and left a good imprint on the human race. And he's one of many, several great religious historical leaders. But can I tell you that Jesus' words don't let you come to that conclusion? You can't read what he said and say, well, he was just a good teacher. Because, listen, he was either a psychopathic lunatic who was extremely deluded. I mean, come on. He who believes on me will have everlasting life, and I'm going to raise him up out of the grave at the last day? That's not just a good teacher. That's not just a good spiritual leader. That's just not a historical inspirational leader or personality. That's either a lunatic, heavily deluded, or it is God wrapped in skin. He is God wrapped in skin. He is God wrapped in flesh, speaking to us. When speaking to the two sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus promised, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will, leave, or will live even if he dies. What? If I just believe in you, even though I die, I'm coming out of the grave one day to you? Not just a good speaker, not just an inspirational leader, but very God come to earth on a rescue mission to rescue us from sin and its consequences and deliver us from death. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So what Jesus came 
to do was undo what sin had absolutely done. And that meant defeating death and restoring eternal life to humanity. That's why Jesus came. He came to take the stinger out of the bumblebee of death. This is why everything was riding on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. Everything was riding on whether or not he got up out of that tomb. If Jesus didn't rise, here's what it came down to. All of his words, all of his promises, all of his credibility were gone. You know why? Because Jesus over and over told the crowds that were listening to him and his disciples when they were alone, I'm going to rise from the dead. Listen to what Jesus said and tell me he was just a normal inspirational personality like many others. Jesus, it says, from then on, Jesus began to speak plainly to his disciples about going to Jerusalem and what would happen to him there, that he would suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders, that he would be killed, and that three days later, he would be raised to life again. Jesus said that. One chapter later in Matthew 17, it says, one day while they were still in Galilee, Jesus told them, I'm going to be betrayed into the power of those who will kill me. And on the third day afterwards, I will be brought back to life again. Plain as day. His enemies heard him say this. His followers heard him say this. The whole world knew that he had said this. Three chapters later, here he goes again. And they will hand me over to the Roman government. And I will be mocked and crucified. And the third day, I will rise to life again. I'm going to be dead, and I'm coming out of the grave. Plain as day, that's what Jesus said. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? This isn't Buddha. This isn't Muhammad. This is not some other religious leader talking. This is Jesus. He said, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to get up again. I'm going to come back from the dead. Lunatic or Lord? Think about it. Some of you watching right now by streaming video, think about it there in your living room. You can't push Jesus aside and just say, oh, well, I really appreciate everything he left for us. You know, that great teaching, that Sermon on the Mount, love one another and all that, all that warm and fuzzy stuff. No. This is a man who said, I'm going to get up again. I'm going to rise from the dead. You're not going to be able to keep me down. As they say, you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep the Christ down. Now, these predictions were so well known that the, the Romans took incredible care to guard the tomb, lest somebody come by night and steal his body away and say, well, he rose from the dead. And then they would have to suffer at the hands of what they would have considered a myth. So Pontius Pilate, who also ordered his crucifixion, told the authorities under him, make the tomb secure, sealing the stone, and post a guard. We're not going to have any shenanigans going on around the grave of Jesus. So they sealed the stone with the Roman insignia, and they placed a guard of soldiers. We would better understand guard as squad. A squad or a guard of soldiers was 30 to 50 men. Can you imagine this? 30 to 50 men around a tomb. 30 to 50 men around a tomb. A gigantic boulder was rolled over the tomb. We know that it was huge because the women who went the third day, Mary, his mother, 
and Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils, and a couple of other women were going to the tomb to anoint him for burial, and, and, and they said, who will roll away this giant stone for us? We're not going to be able to get to him. It was a huge boulder. The, the grave was cut into the side of a mountain of rock. It was made of rock. It had been prepared for a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who came to believe on Jesus and gave up his own grave, figuring once he believed in Jesus, he wouldn't need it anyway. And they put him in there and they rolled this stone over it. Can you imagine if you could have been there? If I had a time machine, it's the first place I'd go back. Right there the third morning with 50 soldiers or so around this tomb, this great big boulder over it, the Roman insignia on it, and they're doing everything they can to keep him in there. But you cannot keep God from doing what God is going to do. You can't do it. And, and let me tell you, you think you can run from God, he'll find you. When you arrive, he's already there waiting for you. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. You can't keep God out. And so the Bible says that because it was ordained of God that Christ would rise from the dead, the only way to describe what happened, because I was thinking, you know, Jeff, you, you know, you like words. Think of words to describe this. And I decided you can't describe the indescribable. You cannot comprehend the incomprehensible. We can only tell what the Bible tells us happened. The only way to describe what happened is pure miracle, pure miracle. Scientists can't explain it. Philosophers can't understand it. Logic won't solve it. History can't erase it. It happened on that third morning. You know, I, I've tried to imagine because I've been in that tomb. <clears throat> I've, I've been in that tomb. I crawled in alone when I went to Jerusalem. I let my little uh, party that I was with go ahead of me, and I kind of dropped back, and I cheated a little bit, and I crawled into the tomb alone and sat there. And I knew that uh, I pictured a stone being rolled over it. And with a stone rolled over it, you would have had no light at all, none. You could have sat in there for a week and your eyes would not have adjusted. It was total darkness. And in there lay the body, as dead as dead ever was, the body of Jesus taken from the tomb. To be sure that he was dead, they thrust his side through with a sword and blood and water came running out. They tested him to make sure that he was dead. Pilate was amazed that he was dead so soon. They took the limp, dead body of Jesus down and put it in that tomb, wrapped him in grave clothes, laid him in there, and rolled that stone over. And sometime the third morning, in the pitch black, right before the sun rose, the power of God moved into that tomb, just crept into that tomb, filled that tomb. And the Son of God, who had not breathed in three days and three nights, sucked in his first breath in that long. And I believe when he breathed that first breath that hell had a heart attack. I do. I really do. Because you see, 
Satan thought, now I've gotten rid of this troublemaker because the Bible says the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And the devil was sick and tired of his works being destroyed by the one who went about everywhere doing good, healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, multiplying bread and fishes, doing all these miracles and undoing and setting the captives free. So he thought he had him. He thought he had him. Peter told some religious leaders later on, and you killed the author of life. But God brought him back to life again. And John and I are witnesses of this fact. For after you killed him, we saw him alive. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus got up from the dead. He stood up in that dark tomb. He unraveled those grave clothes in that dark tomb. What I love about it is he was neat. He folded his grave clothes and put them in a corner. He was not a messy man. Right? <laughs> Never have I said that before. He, he folded them, put them nicely in the corner, and then an angel rolled that stone away, not to let him out, but to let us in so we could see that he had risen from the dead. Now, here's where I'm going with this whole message. When Jesus arose, the power of death was broken, and eternal life was restored to those who believe on him. Here we go. Death died in A.D. 33. Well, Jeff, people still die. Yes. But Jesus said, he that believes on me, though he dies, he will yet live. Because the day is going to come, the trump is going to blow. And the Bible says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, even though you die, you, it, it, you are not going to perish forever. You will not be dead forever. You will be resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected. He's the first of many to be raised from the dead. That's the message of the Bible. Back to the bee sting for a minute. When honeybees sting, it's their last act. It's over for them. Because when they sting, they leave the stinger and the victim. And with that stinger, they leave their abdomen, they leave their digestive tract, and they leave muscles and nerves. The, the, it's a massive abdominal rupture that kills the bee shortly after it stings you. So stinging you is its final hurrah. It will never sting again. It will die. In the same way, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he had succeeded. He stung him. He stung Jesus. He stung him, but here's the problem. Jesus had never sinned. That's the problem. Because the Bible says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the Bible says, He was tempted in all points, yet as we are, yet without sin sin. He lived a sinless life. So when the devil stung him, he stung an innocent man. And you can't kill somebody in whom there is no sin because only by sin comes death. So when he stung Jesus, he committed suicide. 
The Bible says Jesus became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, O grave, where is your victory? And death, where is your sting? Because death left its stinger in Jesus, like a bee leaves its stinger in its victim. And the Bible says he tasted death for every one of us. He, he died in our place. He tasted death for every one of us. A bumblebee without its stinger still looks like a bumblebee, still looks scary. You might run from it, but he can't hurt you because the stinger is gone. Right now, the stinger of death remains in Jesus. When doubting Thomas came up to him, doubting him, I don't believe, Jesus said, put your hand in my side and, and put, your, put your finger in, in, in the holes in my hand because, see, Thomas, that's where death stung me. That's where death stung me. I want you to know, Thomas, you're looking at the one who, who did die, but I'm alive from the dead. I died in your place, but I'm alive from the dead. And, and now that I've been stung, you don't have to be stung. Now that I've died in your place, you don't have to eternally perish. That's what Easter is all about. Amen? Can we stand together today? And I might ask there's, there'll be as little movement as possible. This is very, very important that we have a prayer time right now. And I want to ask you a question. If you would just bow with me for a moment of prayer. And forget about the person next to you, around you. Forget about this crowd of people. And I want you to think about you. Think about you and your own relationship or lack thereof with God. Have you looked to Jesus for eternal life? Have you? Has your sin been forgiven through his death on the cross? Have you ever said, Jesus, forgive me? I sinned, and I put my faith in you. Because when you do that, a miracle happens. Jesus called it being born again. The Bible says that Christianity is not rehabilitation. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not turning over a new leaf. It is not deciding to be a better person. It is undergoing a massive transformation that only God can bring, and it happens when you put your faith in Jesus. Would you like to have the peace that comes from knowing that your sins are forgiven? I did it so long ago in jail when I was 16 years old and Christ came into my heart and he wrought a great transformation I'm only up here today speaking to you about him because in that jail cell he came to me and he changed me now I'm gonna pray a prayer I'm gonna pray two prayers actually one if you need to say you know Jesus I, I don't know that I've ever asked you to forgive me and I'm going to do it right now, and I'm going to ask you to come into my heart. And then I'm going to pray with those of you who you haven't been plugged into Jesus for a while like you used to be. You, you've drifted. You're not where you used to 
walk with him. Your walk is not the same. It's not as close. It's not as personal. And I want to pray that today on this Easter Sunday 2016, you will decide, Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. I'm coming back to you. I'm going to get in the middle of the will of God. I'm going to get excited about Jesus again. I'm going to get in the epicenter of God's will for me. I'm going to pray that. So let's pray right now. If you need to pray for Jesus to come into your heart, pray this with me. You can do it. Even if you've never prayed. I had never prayed as a 16-year-old. I prayed the first time in jail, but it was good enough. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved. Jesus, I place my faith in you as Savior and Lord. Give to me today, Lord, eternal life. I repent of my sin and I ask your forgiveness. And now pray with me if you have drifted from the Lord and it's, it's just time to come home. You've gone around this mountain long enough. It's time to come home. Say with me, Lord, forgive me for putting other things before you. Take me back and lead me into your highest purpose for me. I place you first in my life in Jesus' name. Now, I did this when I was in juvenile home, 16 years old, for sale of narcotics. My mother's right here. She'll tell you. I was hell on wheels. She was as shocked as anybody when I said, hey, I became a Christian. Her attitude was, sure. <laughs> but now, and I was able to lead her to Christ. Isn't that something? So, that's right. So, what has begun today is what happened with me. It's a seed that was sown. He came into my heart. There were so many things that needed to be healed. I needed so much deliverance. I needed years of the renewing of my mind. I'd be lying to you if I told you it was all an easy road. It wasn't. But it was a worthwhile road. And it was a life-healing road. I don't know if you've been in this church before or not, if you're just visiting, if you've been unchurched, but I want to encourage you to come back. We'd love to see you next Sunday. Amen? We'd love to see you. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to be speaking on encouraging words for discouraging times. And I want to encourage you. We all need that, right? So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these precious men and women, boys and girls, I pray that today will be the day that their lives are totally turned around. And I know they are because you have come into their heart in answer to prayer. Thank you for delivering them from the traps and snares Satan has laid in their life. Thank you for doing a new thing. Thank you for sealing their decision with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.